Exodus 24. And he, the Lord, said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord hath said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning, and builded an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Well, friends, we're looking this evening at this uh, 24th chapter uh, in Exodus, and uh, it's a very important chapter, uh, especially for Israel, for national Israel, because it's here that the covenant uh, that God made with them is being ratified by the Lord. And we'll come to that uh, in a minute. Uh, but uh, the, the sharp, sharpish people among you will notice that I've skipped two or three chapters. Last time we were in chapter 20, and now I've skipped to jump to chapter 24. Well, it's not that those passages are not important, but I just felt we could uh, skip over them uh, at this particular time. But uh, in those, uh, where we left it last time, you remember, uh, we, look, we were looking at the Ten Commandments and how God had spoken uh, orally uh, to, uh, to the people. They heard his voice. He was speaking to Moses, but all the people, the two million people, heard the voice of God audibly. And uh, when they heard that voice, well, they were afraid. When they saw the mountain on fire, they were even more afraid. And they, they said to Moses, Oh, Moses, it's too much for us. We're afraid, we're scared. You speak, you be our mediator. You go up, you hear from God and uh, let God communicate whatever message he wants to communicate to you and then you relate that uh, back to us. We're happy with this arrangement, with this agreement. And uh, this is what uh, ended up being hap uh, ha happening. The people stood afar off, uh, Exodus 20, verse 21, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And when he went up that, that time, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, when he went up, well, uh, the record uh, in, in chapter, chapters 22, uh, 20, 22, end of 23, uh, sorry, 21 to 23, is a, a record of the things that God said to him while he was up there, as well as the Ten Commandments given. Here in those chapters you see an enlargement of the Ten Commandments and the civil laws and the judicial laws which were given 
uh, to Israel. Remember, they had no laws. So here God is giving them uh, these laws uh, when they get into the promised land. Uh, this is how uh, they are to conduct themselves. It's, it's uh, all a part of the covenant. And when God had finished communicating that to them, then in chapter, uh, we, we pick it up in chapter 24, and here in verse 1, he tells Moses, uh, go down again, even though it's not said there, go down again, and then come up again uh, to the Lord. Uh, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. Poor Moses, up and down, up and down. He goes up, and the Lord says, go down. He goes up, uh, goes up and down quite a number of times. And uh, once again, uh, he is sent down with the command to come back up again. And this time, he is to come up not on his own as before, but he is to come up with Aaron, his brother, and uh, Aaron's uh, two sons, eldest sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, and also 70 of the elders of Israel. But they can't come very close. They had to still, it says there, worship ye afar off. They still had to keep their distance. They could go beyond those boundaries that were set about Mount Sinai, where the people couldn't pass through. They could go beyond that and ascend to a certain level, a certain height, but they couldn't go any further. And we'll see as the chapter goes on that Moses and Joshua went a little bit further and then Moses himself went into the cloud where he met with the Lord. So in verse uh, verse, uh, 2, Moses alone shall come near, but they shall not come uh, nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And then in verse uh, 3, Moses, when he came down uh, from the mount at that time, uh, he told the people all the words of the Lord, that, that's the Ten Commandments, and all the judgments, that's all those civil uh, judicial laws mentioned in the previous uh, chapters. And the people, when they heard it, they all answered with one agreement, with one voice, and said, all the words of the Lord, uh, which, uh, all the words which the Lord had said, will we do. And uh, here, uh, when we read about the judgments, and uh, the, the, if you go back and you look in your own time at the previous uh, three chapters, you will see not only are there the rules and the laws of how they are uh, to govern themselves, but here also was instruction in the previous chapter about the feast that they were to keep. Three times uh, a year, the males above 20 years old had to make their way to Jerusalem Uh, to keep the feast unto the Lord. And here also attached uh, to these words of the covenant were promises uh, given. Once again, if you look, for example, at chapter 23 and verse 20, the Lord promised, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way, to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. You'll notice this is not any angel, you look in your script, your Bible, it'll have a capital A to show that it is the angel of the Lord, that, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself uh, would, would keep them, would protect them, and would bring them uh, to the desired haven, to, to Canaan. And then if you look down at verse 22, the Lord promises, as a part, of, again, of this covenant, that he will, uh, he will fight for Israel if they obey his voice and do all that he speaks, 
Then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. And in verse 25, he promises to bless them. Again, conditional. If they serve the Lord and obey him, he will bless, he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast thy young nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. And again, verse 28, I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. You can see these in chapter 23. So promises. So basically what's happening here, friends, is that God is making a covenant uh, with Israel. And he's saying, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, then I promise on my part, I will do this, and I will do this for you, and I will do that. There are two parties, God uh, on the one side, and the people of Israel on the other side, and there's this agreement, this uh, sort of a contract that is being drawn up. And God is the one who is saying, these are the terms and the conditions. And uh, if you do them, then I will play my part. I will do what, uh, what, what needs to be done. I will, I will fulfill those promises that I made to you. Do you consent to them? It's not mentioned here, but that's what the, the ethos of the passage is. Do you consent uh, to uh, this, uh, con- uh, this uh, covenant? To, do you agree to do it? And uh, people said in verse 3, all the words which the Lord hath said will we do. So, and then verse 4, hearing that, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and then builded an altar and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. He wrote down all the words of those three chapters, all those words he'd heard. Uh, he put it as it were, uh, in writing, and then he, he goes about to ratify uh, this covenant. That is, to make it official, to make it formal, to make it a valid uh, covenant. Now, when we, when we talk about a covenant today or a contract uh, today, it's very easy to confirm a contract. If you want to rent a house, uh, there's a, a, a contract the shorthold tenancy is drawn up between you as the tenant and the landlord, and the agreement is very easy. Both, both sign uh, the, the shorthold tenancy, and there's a, a binding contract there once it's, both are signed. Or if you want to travel to a foreign land, you need to buy an airline ticket. Well, you, the airline company will, will form a little bit of an agreement, a contract also with you. And one of the things you have to do if you buy your ticket online, as some of you haven't done that, I think, but if you buy your ticket online, you'll know you must tick a little box uh, which says you agree to all the terms and conditions. No one ever reads the terms and conditions. I think they're so small and tiny. But you, will just, you just have to tick. You can't pay for your ticket unless you tick that box saying that you agree. And that's, uh, again, a legally binding uh, contract between you and the airline company. But when you come to this particular contract, as it were, this covenant between God and the people of Israel, well, they did things a little bit more, a little differently. A little differently uh, is an understatement because it's actually quite an unusual uh, set of things which happened uh, in order to confirm 
uh, that contract and to make it binding and formal. And this is what Moses does here. He builds first an altar at the base of the hill, and then he sets up the 12 pillars, each one representing a particular tribe uh, in Israel. And then he sends uh, young men uh, uh, to offer uh, sacrifices, burnt offerings, and peace offerings uh, unto the Lord. And then uh, from those sacrifices, half of the blood from the sacrifices he captures in basins, and the other half uh, he sprinkles uh, on the altar. And then verse 7, uh, and he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord had said will we do and be obedient. So in, verse, in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 19, when Moses is, sorry, when Paul is actually talking about the same scenario, the same event, he gives a little extra detail. He says there, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves or goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. So it's not mentioned about the book of the covenant being sprinkled there. Here, but in Hebrews, we get that extra bit of information. Uh, so the, the blood in the basins uh, was uh, sprinkled uh, not on all the people. There would have been, there were too many. The, far, the number was two million. It was, uh, it was an impossible task. It would have taken forever to do that. But it was sprinkled upon the representatives. Some people say those representatives were the 70 elders of Israel. Uh, others say the blood was sprinkled on those 12 pillars that had been set up because they also were representing Israel. But the thing is that the, it was the blood that connected both parties, the altar representing God and the elders or the pillars representing uh, the people. The, this blood method confirmed that covenant that was established between God and uh, Israel. And this throws light for us uh, on uh, the words of Jesus. When we uh, think of the Lord's Supper and we think of the words that were spoken at that last supper before uh, when the, which the Lord spent uh, with his disciples in Matthew uh, 26, uh, when the Lord was instituting the, Lord, the Lord's Supper, he took the cup and he said these words, words which we repeat every time when we have the Lord's Supper ourselves. This is my blood of the New Testament, or this is my blood of the New Covenant, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. It's a game. It's uh, to do with this, in that case, with the covenant of grace. And it was ratifying that covenant of grace, which we'll mention in a minute. But uh, this covenant here was a covenant of works. It's not as some Presbyterian friends will tell you, a covenant of grace also. This is actually a covenant of works. It's a covenant that is made between God and the people. And, well, that's the people, uh, even though they said we will obey, very quickly they disobeyed God. They broke the commandment. In fact, while Moses was up in the mount 40 days, this very, just, when he, just after this uh, uh, after this, this covenant was made, he went up, he was in the mount for 40 days, 
in that period already, they said he's there too long, as we were saying on Sunday. And they became impatient. And they said to Aaron, make us a golden calf. And they made a golden calf. And the golden calf, they said to the golden calf, this is the God that has brought you out of Egypt, O Israel. Well, that was nonsense, isn't it? Because, uh, but they were imp- already very, how fickle people are, how, how very quick we are. Uh, they are to break the, the, the covenant. And we're the same, friends. We mustn't think we would have done any different. Don't we make promises? Don't we say, Lord, Lord, I repent of this sin. I won't do it again. Only the next day we do it again. And we, we so often make vows. Perhaps we shouldn't be very quick to make vows, but if we promise something, we should do it. But we, how often we make a promise and then we break it? We're going to be there every time. We're going to be at church every Sunday. We don't see you next day. I'll be there. I'll be there, Lord. No, we're not. Something happens, it deters us. But every one of us, we are, this, uh, uh, we are uh, susceptible to, to breaking. So easily we break. But uh, this was a covenant, uh, not of grace, but of works. The covenant of grace is different. The covenant of grace, to say very briefly, is something that was made between God and the Lord Jesus Christ and made in eternity. And then it, it, it came... Uh, It was first made known to us in the Garden of Eden. But in that covenant, God, as it were, said, uh, God the Father said to God the Son, if you go and you uh, live a perfect life and you die on behalf of, uh, of this certain number of people and you bear the punishment of their sins, and you suffer in their place all that they deserve, the punishment that they deserve. If you do this on their behalf, then I will give that number to you. I will give those millions of people who are elect, I will give them as a reward uh, to you. And I will give you, uh, I will raise you up uh, from the dead. And I will give you a, a, a name that is higher than every other name as king of kings and lord of lords, and I will put everything under your feet. This was all promised uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that was the covenant that was made. And so Christ came. Well, what's our, our role in that? Well, in the, in the covenant of works, we have to do something. If you want to do something, you have to keep, try and keep the commandments to get to heaven. Or you fail. But in the covenant of grace, what is required from you and I is to receive. Is to receive. To believe what Christ has done on our behalf. And you receive it. And by simply receiving and believing it, you are brought into a, a right relationship with God. You are brought into the blessings of God. And all the blessings that Christ has obtained become yours simply by believing in Christ. Well, friends, there is, it really is uh, such a wonderful uh, topic if we can uh, look into it ourselves in our own time. So here, uh, this, this particular covenant is a covenant of works, and uh, it, it has, we could say, the covenant of grace in it, but only in types and shadows and the sacrifices and the tabernacle itself and other things, but uh, we won't go into that in detail uh, tonight. So here, the, the, uh, the people, they quickly broke, as we said, their pledge and their commitment to the Lord. 
and their obedience became disobedience. But for us, and, and later on, I should say, they would go on, when they were actually in the promised land, uh, they would go on again to disobey the Lord to such an extent where they were cast out of their land, as you know. And they had to spend 70 years in exile in Babylon because of their sin. But for us who are in the covenant of grace, well, we will never be expelled from God. We will never be cast out of his presence. If we are truly in, if we are truly believers, then we will always be his, his children. You will, you will never be one day his child and the next day not. If we disobey, if we sin, he will discipline us. He will punish us as a father disciplines his son. And, but he will never uh, cast us away from him. So there's great safety for us as believers. And there's so, uh, great security uh, for us uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And great comfort as well just to know that when, people, when there are some people who teach uh, that you can uh, lose your salvation. Well, verse uh, 9, uh, we pick it up from there. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. Uh, some people say uh, this is a theophany that they saw uh, the Son of God. Or some others uh, commentators suggest that this is a, more a sense of the divine uh, presence, that they couldn't actually see the God of Israel. But under his feet, it seems that perhaps they only saw his feet, and the, uh, below his feet was this platform of sapphire. Sapphire is a, a, a blue color, like a sky blue color. And they saw that, and they saw this body of heaven in his uh, clearness. A picture, perhaps, of God enthroned above the heavens, enthroned in glory. Some, uh, somebody has said it's God in his undisturbed blessedness, in calm, uh, there sovereignly, unmoved, as it were, unperturbed, ruling and reigning uh, sovereignly over all things from on high. Verse 11, And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he lay not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. Now, it was quite common for people in those days to think that if they saw God, they would die. That they would lose their life because it was such an awesome sight. And uh, here, this is what the people thought as well. But where we read, uh, upon the nobles of the children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Instead, they eat and drink. And the picture is one, isn't it, of fellowship. The picture is one of, uh, they're at ease, as it were, when you're eating and drinking. They're at ease and they're uh, at rest in this place. And I think here is uh, an, an idea of, of uh, fellowship uh, with God. Some people, well, they get God all wrong. Some people, when they think of God, they only think he's out to destroy us. He's out to spoil us. He's out to take away our fun, maybe. Uh, he's out to make our life uh, miserable. And, and they think hard thoughts of God. Oh, that's so wrong, friends. That's so wrong. God is not out to make our lives uh, miserable. Uh, we should put such a thought uh, very far from us. 
these uh, elders here, they were at ease in the presence of God. And so can we be as believers, so we should be as believers, at ease in our, uh, our Father's presence when we are uh, speaking with him and uh, not uh, to be affrighted. Well, it would be a, a dishonor to the Lord if we are his children to come before him with a fear of him which is not, uh, not right and we're afraid of him in the wrong way. We should know that he loves us and rejoice in that love and take great comfort in that love. This is the place where we want to go when we're in trouble, to the place where our God is and to pour out our hearts before him. And uh, I think that's one of the thoughts which comes through uh, from, this, uh, from this passage. Later, of course, we know judgment did fall on Nadab and Abihu because they offered strange fire before the Lord. But for now, uh, they are, are blessed uh, in this way. And then uh, finally, in verse 12, we see, the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and the law. Uh, God himself is going to write on these tables of stone the Ten Commandments and the law and the commandments which I've written, laws concerning the tabernacle, which God willing we will look at, uh, that thou mayest uh, teach them. And so Moses and Joshua ascend further up that mountain. They leave behind uh, the 70 and, uh, and Nadab and Abihu. And then in verse 14, uh, they say to them, tarry here, wait till we come back to you. Behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to, to do, let him come unto them. And then at a certain point, we're not told when, but uh, he le where he, he leaves Joshua behind and Moses proceeds alone up the mountain and a cloud uh, covered the mountain. Verse 16, the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. The bright light, uh, brightness uh, of God uh, shone upon that mountain and the cloud covered it six days. Six days there, and the seventh day, finally, he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Moses is kept waiting for six days. He is being prepared before he meets God. <coughs> he is being prepared before he can enter into that presence. No doubt he was praying, and he was meditating, and he was thinking about, uh, about the Lord during that time. And as, as we said before, it's good for us to prepare our minds and hearts before we come uh, to the Lord in worship. And then uh, in, in, the, at the, in the last, uh, sorry, verse 17, the sight of the glory of the Lord upon that, the top of the mountain was like a devouring fire, like a burning uh, fire, something that, a fire that consumes all its part. It was like unto that. And the sight uh, from below was so great uh, even in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went up into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mountain. Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. How did he do it? How could Moses enter into that burning, as it were, uh, uh, light? How could he uh, uh, manage it as a human being? Well, God must have supernaturally upheld him. Otherwise, he couldn't have been sustained uh, to be in the Lord's presence and to be without food 
uh, and water, as he tells us later, 40 days and 40 nights. Well, friend, just as we close, I just want you to notice words, some words that I repeated. Verse 1, come up, the Lord said unto um, Moses. And then again in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me into the mount. And verse 16, again, the Lord called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Come up, he must have said. And every time that the Lord called him to come up, he went up. Uh, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, the Apostle John uh, was also invited by God to come up. Come up hither, the Lord said to him, and I will show thee things which must be uh, hereafter. My friends, that's a call that comes to all of us, isn't it? The, the call that came to us even when we were in our unconverted days. We could say it was God calling us to come up, to leave the world as it were, and to come up and to come into fellowship with Him. We'd never had fellowship with God before. In our unconverted days, we were prayerless, we were with, out of touch with God. We had no connection with the Lord. We were cut off from Him, and we didn't even want to have a relationship with Him. We were devoid of a re relationship with our Creator, our Maker, our Heavenly Friend. And now we look back on it and how miserable that, that time was. But then, the, then came the call, the Gospel call. Come up. Come up to me, as it were. Come to a higher place. Come into fellowship with me. And we heard by God's grace. And the Spirit moved in our hearts. And we responded uh, to that call. And we came into fellowship with the Lord. And our lives changed as a result of that. And sadly, whilst we are in fellowship here, well, our fellowship with the Lord is disturbed. Not only from temptations from without, but from struggles with the indwelling sin which still remains in us. We are, we are not free from our sin. And part of the indwelling sin is to uh, takes us back. It says, well, you, you, it makes us struggle in prayer. And it makes us, uh, brings all sorts of difficulties and barriers when we want to do something spiritual and towards the Lord. And so we find things harder. Uh, in, in, this, in this life in terms of spiritual things and even fellowship with God. And a few times when we're at great liberty and maybe you feel oh, the Lord is very near, the Lord is very close and you have great liberty of heart and in times when you can really uh, cry out unto God in prayer or praise and thanksgiving and you really feel the Lord is blessing you. But there are other times when it's uh, not so. And that's the pattern for us here. We walk still by faith but there's coming a time it's coming a time, friends, when the Lord will say to us individually, come up, come up hither, also come up to glory, come up to heaven, and then we will enter into perfect fellowship. Then we will enter into uninterrupted, undisturbed fellowship with God, and we'll never come down. We'll be there forever. What a day. What a wonderful uh, prospect that lies in hold uh, lies uh, in the future for us. Well, we, we await that day and may the Lord help us as we are preparing. May we draw some comfort. Remember the, this covenant of grace that we stand in. 
ratified by the blood of Christ and his fellowship. Pray, friends, while you can make much of fellowship with God. This is your strength to be alone with the Lord. Don't miss a day. Don't let a day go by where you don't draw near to him. Draw near to him every day and he will surely bless you. Amen.